In this episode of 92i Talks, Cecile Richards, former president of Planned Parenthood and author of the new book, Make Trouble, Standing Up, Speaking Out, and Finding the Courage to Lead, discusses what it takes to stand up for what you believe in and transform our world today with comedian actor Jessica Williams. The conversation was recorded on May 8, 2018, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Yes. Ooh, there she is. How are you? Good. This is great. No, this is good. You, thank you brought you a lot of folks here. This yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Thank you, ladies, gentlemen, gender nonconforming individuals. Thank you so much for coming. I'm so, so excited to be able to have a convo with my girl, Ceci. She's like, don't call me that. <laughs> You can call me anything you want. Okay, okay, okay. I'm gonna call you Ceci, C, C, C. I've heard it all. Okay, yeah, C, pretty C, mama. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, no, I'm, I'm so excited. Um, first of me all, too. I'm gonna get this out of the way. Your outfit is legendary. Hey. You. <laughs> um, I have loved uh, following you. Um, I think I, I heard about you in 2006, um, but I have loved following you since then because you, and like this is totally superficial, but you are so like chic, you know what oh. I mean? And the Coming from like you? Iconic. Oh my God. No, you're like wow. very wow. chic. Um, no, but I, I, I read your book, Make Trouble, and I don't know if you have picked it up yet, but it's amazing and awesome. Um, you are very inspirational in every way, and I, I just wanna, if you haven't read it, I just wanna like have a conversation with you about things that you mentioned in the book, things that you didn't get to. Great. I want to hear about what you're up to and what the hell is going on with this administration and yeah. parenthood right now. We should be able to do that in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah, but no, I, I saw that you grew up um, in Texas. Yes. Woo, baby. I'm telling you. I know. What was it like growing up in Texas? Uh, we were against everything. <laughs> that was kind of how we grew up. Uh -huh. I, I was born in Waco. Mm-hmm. Anyone from Waco? I know. I, oh my I, God! I've been really to that? Waco. Someone said, "Oh God." Um, actually, you know what? Though Planned Parenthood just opened a brand new health center in Waco, Texas, providing abortion. Yes. So, um, Thank you. It you know took a while, but we got got back there. So no, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and it's true. My parents. Okay, well, there's someone who likes Dallas. Uh, <laughs> it was. Unbelievably conservative, okay. and my parents were against absolutely everything that was happening in Dallas. And so we were, they were into the labor movement, the civil rights movement, and um, you know, most kids I think remember going to the grocery store with their mom to pick up groceries for the dinner. When I went to the grocery store with my mom, it was so she could check to see if the United Farm Workers label was on the lettuce, and if not, she was not buying it. Yes. And that was sort of how our, that was sort of what growing up in Dallas was like. Um, but it was actually. It was a pretty magical childhood because we were, you know, the dinner table wasn't where we ate, it's where we sorted precinct lists for whatever campaign my folks were working on. Um, and it's probably how I learned to be a troublemaker from an early age. Yes, did you have like examples? I, I know from the book you had so many wonderful stories about your mom and your family. Yeah, so. well it's funny because, yeah, so my mom, for those of you who don't, don't know, she was, um, for a hot second, she was the governor of Texas. Uh, and like, <laughs> You know, didn't last, but while she was there, it was, it was awesome. Um, but she, you know, she was, in Texas in those days, women didn't have a lot of options, so she was really more like a housewife is what they were called, and mm -hmm. she didn't get to work outside the home. But then the women's movement came, and she just, like, lost her mind and went crazy and just, like, <laughs> never quit. It just went going and kept going. But, um, yeah, so we moved to Austin, so that was good because it was more progressive, and there was a lot of hippies there, and you know, tie-dyeing and people like were, vegan like, hot dogs. Yeah, completely. And <laughs> people wearing dashikis and growing <laughs> organic food and stuff. Um, but so my folks liked it a lot better. Um, but that was kind of where I had my first run-in with the authorities, if you will. So it was, um, my dad was, um, my dad was uh, really involved in the anti-war movement. This was during the Vietnam War. And there was a big moratorium against the war. I was in seventh grade. We just moved there. And I decided to wear a black armband in protest of the Vietnam War to my junior high school, Westlake Junior High, which was kind of out in the country. And, um, and I got to school and realized I was the only kid with a black armband on. And so immediately the principal called me to his office. Uh, and he said to me, do your parents know what you're doing? And I said, well, I'm pretty sure they do, actually. <laughs> and then he said, well, I'm going to call your mother and find out. 
and I'm thinking, whoa, <laughs> Mr. Heston, <laughs> that is, you, well, were, you know, and his lucky break was mom wasn't at home because um, <laughs> that would have been, but it was like one of the first times as a young person, I, here I was in seventh grade, I was new, new to this school, and I thought, I had never even met the principal before, and now I'm in his office already, so it sort of taught me that, you know, just taking action, you can actually get the attention of the authorities. So it sort of set me on my way. That's sort of bit. the opposite <laughs> because, you know, when I know for me, if the principal teacher's like, I'm going to call you mama, I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I am so... <laughs> but I love that you were like, ooh, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like that. Yeah. Okay, so when did you... Uh, did you have any other run-ins with like your teachers or oh, principals yeah. or in school? Yeah. That, that just sort of started it. And then, yeah, then it, it kind of um, kept going. Because actually Texas was, have you been, you've been to Texas? I have. I've yeah. been in Waco for 24 hours and I was like, okay, I'm going to shut You're this done. down real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to Austin. Yes. I love Austin. Okay. I had a very mysterious haunting in Austin, full disclosure. Stayed at an old hotel. I was like, this place is haunted. Anyway. Wow. That's something for another time. Okay, yeah. Um, and then I've been Volume to Dallas two. a bunch of times for The Daily Show. Actually, working on The Daily Show, you're either going to Texas, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> you're true. going to Arizona, yeah. or uh, Utah or Florida. What are you trying like, to say about that. Texas? Uh, I don't know. Is, like... uh, Texas. Texas is kind of messed up, honestly. <laughs> it is. Messed, but, it that's, is. but that's the thing. I think when you learn about Texas, because, yeah, folks say, like, yeah, kind of what you're saying. Like and it's big. And it, it's yeah, big. Yeah, it's big. It's big. And, tech, yeah, <laughs> folks kind of roll their eyes. But Texas is the state that produced Barbara Jordan, okay? The woman who was the, she was the first African-American congresswoman from Texas, you know, was iconic. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, produced, produced, you know, my mom and Molly Ivins and some other folks. And so I think that, Beyonce. you know. I was going to say And Beyonce. Beyonce. And Beyonce. Solange there Beyonce. we go. Solange there we Beyonce. go. Okay. That's fine. No, no, that's right. I mean, I think the thing is to be, you know, you grew up in Texas. If you're a woman, you've got to, like, really fight for everything you yeah. get. And fortunately, a lot of women do. But, yeah. but you're right. The politics of the state have gotten completely crazy. Um, but I think, yes, growing up in Texas taught me that you, if, you, you, if you didn't fight for what you believed in, it, it, nothing was going to change. Uh, nothing. And, and again, I think that's why mom got into politics, too. Yeah. And then what did you want to be when you were a kid? Did you know that you wanted to get into politics? A troublemaker, yeah. You wanted to be uh -huh. a troublemaker. I, so you knew you... I think so. I actually didn't... I mean, I didn't have any idea, and we didn't have a lot of... I mean, there wasn't anybody to really show you what to do, but I, I went away to school, and that's when I really sort of perfected my troublemaking um, in okay. college. Yeah. yeah. So you I write about it in the book a little bit. I went yes. away to Rhode Island, mm -hmm. and um, my mom and I... We, I mean, I had barely been out of the state, but... And I got involved in labor mm -hmm. um, issues, mm -hmm. fighting for janitors uh, at my college campus. And what made then, you want to do that? You know, because I just, I couldn't believe that they, this was a big, fancy university, private university, and the janitors were having to go on strike for a living wage. That was crazy to yeah. me. I mean, it just, and, and it was like my janitor, Eddie, he was on the picket line. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, this isn't right. And... It was kind of disillusioning, like a lot of things in life. You know, kind of go, wow, I thought this was sort of this amazing progressive institution. Um, so then I got involved in fighting for di divestment in South Africa, and that was also unpopular at the time. Um, yeah, I actually just went to South Africa for the first you time. You did, yes. yes. I'd never been to Africa. Right. Never been to South Africa, and I ended up going to the Apartheid Museum. And Isn't it incredible? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's really amazing, but definitely... As, as an American and as a black American, I found myself having a, a really uh, strange experience in South Africa. Yes. Um, and also my, my sister is also like a, a labor organizer as well. Oh, I didn't and know that. that. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She is for teachers. Okay. Um, hey, can we just say yeah, yeah. teachers in America? They are, un it's like, yeah. I, I was just, uh, yeah. It's crazy. I was just in Arizona last week, um, where I think you know the teachers like went out and uh, like they had a, yeah. they had a rally of like seventy five thousand folks. That's incredible. Just setting all kinds of records, and of course, I think three quarters of teachers that are that are um, going out on strike and are, are fighting for not only themselves but also their students. Are seventy five percent of them are women, mm -hmm. and I just it's incredible to me to see this. I think it's actually the theme of this whole year, which is just don't wait for instructions, don't wait for somebody else to organize it, just do it yourself. Yeah. And women are doing it in just such a big way. Yeah. Yeah. Really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit more about uh, your time being a labor organizer? Mm -hmm. Is that is that when you met your husband? Yes. Uh huh. It is. And yeah. So I left 
I left Brown um, and decided to become a union organizer. And there wasn't anyone recruiting on campus for union organizers. <laughs> no, <it laughs> so, okay. so it took me a while to kind of find a job. Uh -huh. um, but I, I worked with garment workers in the Rio Grande border. And then, then I moved to New Orleans uh -huh. and uh, started organizing hotel workers, mainly women in, that were you know, earning minimum wage. I mean, like back-breaking work. Uh -huh. Still is. Uh -huh. and it's, you know, New Orleans actually, and it's a city I love, but still the most profitable hotel industry in the country, in the city of New Orleans. And really? You know, yeah. Because people pay big money for the hotel rooms, right. and the folks that clean those rooms make almost nothing. So, I did not anyway, know that. so tip your housekeeper yeah, when I, you go I, when you go you stay in a hotel. Um, anyway, that's huh. that's how I. Do, why you know. do you think it is in New Orleans? Because they've never been organized, and never been unionized. I mean, we tried for years. Mm -hmm. um, it's still like my dream to go back and unionize all of New Orleans hotel workers. <laughs> yeah, um, and there's such a racial history there as and, well, No, right? absolutely. I mean, it was, and, and a lot of these women were working two jobs, mm -hmm. trying to sort of port a family, um, often the only person, you know, earning a paycheck. And that's where I met my husband. Um, you know, it was like one of those, it, I mean, it was crazy. We were like working, 24-7, all the time, making no money, shopping at Goodwill. I mean, it was really, and then my husband walks into the office, because he'd come down from the East Coast, thought he wanted to be a union organizer. I'm looking at him like, no way, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. He looked like a, like a kind of looked like a Jesuit, like a, like a, I don't like a, <laughs> like he had like really nice khaki pants, and he had like a little button-down shirt. That's and Laced shoes. <laughs> It was like, I just don't think this is, I don't know. Well, I, what was your style then? Like, what was, I know you Oh, yeah, mine was like, anything I could, yeah, <laughs> everything I bought was secondhand, and uh -huh. it was, yeah. I was like, this <laughs> is just, he's not, but you know what? He made it. Mm. He made it. He was a great organizer. And, I, th I mean, folks in the project didn't really know what to make of him. Right. They could like, he's either selling insurance, <laughs> or he's here to get me to join a church. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, but he was a really good organizer, and so we hit it off, and we've been together, I don't know, Forever. Love it. Forever since. Yeah, it was yeah. good. It was like true romance. Yeah, that's hot. Organizing romance. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a movie that I'm ready to see. Okay, I'm all watch right. It on Netflix. I'll give you the rights. Yeah, please, please. Here we go. Um, okay, great. And then when did you start working at Planned Parenthood? Uh, 12 years ago. Okay. Yeah, because I, I just finished my, um, I just finished last week after 12 years. I know. I know. I know. It's like, I know. Congratulations. I know. It was wild. Were you ready to work at Planned Parenthood? Did you no, set out to... I was to... not ready to work at Planned Parenthood at all. And actually, that's one of the things I talk about in the book mm -hmm. because so when I got the call to maybe apply for this job, I was, uh, I was like, oh my God, this is like, was, you know, I'd been a Planned Parenthood patient, like a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. I'd been on a Planned Parenthood board, but I, I thought, wow, I don't know how to do that. And I was so, um, I was amazed that they were calling me even to interview for the job. And I almost didn't go to the interview. I mean, it had been set up with the search committee, and I, I was like panicking. And so I went into a, ran into a coffee shop, of, you know, and I did what any grown woman would do. I called my mother, and I said, <laughs> I said, I don't know what to do. I mean, I said, I can't do this job. My kids are this, you know, we can't move, and I've never done anything. This, and all the reasons that women always have for the uh -huh. reasons they can't do things. Uh -huh. And my mother was like, Cecile, get over it, right? This is like, she said, this is the most important organization in the country um, for women's reproductive health care and rights, and you'll never, you'll never forget it if you don't actually give it a chance. And so I want to thank Ann Richards tonight for yeah, having actually gotten awesome. me to that interview. I mean, it's, um, so, but I think, you know, it's funny, I've been thinking about it. It's, in a way, I feel like Planned Parenthood, like they do for millions of women every year and millions of people every year, they believed in me more than I believed in myself. Uh. And that is really sort of what Planned Parenthood's been about for 101 years. And so maybe it was really fitting, but it's an amazing organization. I think there's some Planned Parenthood folks in the house. I just want to say, um, you know, we were, you were asking me early, you know, I know a lot of people been talking about this last year about like, what did you do after the election and how did people kind of begin to recover and you know the interesting thing was because I was here the night of the election and in fact my daughter Lily had been working on the campaign and you know I mean when she finally got home at like four in the morning and we just like you know lay in bed weeping inconsolably mm -hmm. um, but the next morning I got up and, and went to work and so did 
thousands of Planned Parenthood Everybody. doctors, clinicians, escorts, because you know what? Women were waiting for us and they wanted to make sure that we were gonna be there for them. And that's what I'm so proud about this organization yeah. for, is that um, at a time in which women were really, uh, really wondering you know, whether there would be some place they could get health care, Planned Parenthood folks were there. And uh, one interesting thing was actually that week after the election, we had a 900% spike in women trying to get in to get IUDs that would last the entire Trump administration. Uh, wow, like, a 900%. Is that serious? I know yeah. it. No, that's, um, that's tight. Yeah, that's and they tight. could, and they did. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so that yeah. worked for them. But yeah, no, no I, women are worried. I mean, they were worried. Oh, absolutely. For I, good reason. When I think of maybe that day after the election yeah. and that sort of whole week, it was a lot of just, I, I was really depressed. I was really sad and I went to go see my therapist and I was like, I, I was just crying. And she was like, everybody this week has been doing the same yeah. thing. Like, she was like, everyone's been sitting here paying yeah. me a bunch of money to cry in front of me. Well, I'm glad um, it worked for her too. Yeah, yeah no, but yeah. It, it did mean a lot to me and it has to see the resilience of Planned Parenthood and, and people like you and of other women and women of color, a member of the trans yes. community, um, still kind of pulling together. That's right. Um, I really That's needed right. that. But I wanted to ask you, you talk about resilience a lot in this book. Mm -hmm. And I, I found it really inspirational, but I know for me, in my 20s, the hardest part about becoming an adult and the hardest part about for me, being a millennial woman is realizing that the world is not inherently fair. Yep. Because when I was a girl, you know, I was taught that the bad guys won't succeed, and if you're good and kind, good things will happen to you. Mm -hmm. um, what keeps you resilient, and what keeps you going, especially in light of you know this time? Right. Well, I think this last year, um, or year and a half, one was that people just the outpouring of activism, and again, I think. It's important to remember, because I think as progressives, sometimes it is, we're so frustrated or discouraged sometimes. I think it is important to remember that the day after this inauguration, the largest marches in recorded history in the United mm -hmm. States of America took place, mm -hmm. right? And that was like millions of people. And so it's, I think if that hadn't happened, and then if folks hadn't kept organizing and resisting and persisting and knitting and doing all the things that they did, it would have been discouraging. And I think the important thing, particularly because we're here in New York City, is that it wasn't just in New York. It wasn't just in Washington. It's like Salt Lake City, Utah, mm -hmm. Texas, the largest march in Austin's history uh, happened the day after the inauguration. And that, to me... Um, that's when you go, okay, well, if everybody else can do that, I guess I can too. And I think the other thing that definitely kept me going, uh, because of course we face this defunding of Planned Parenthood right. and Paul Always. Ryan. And, yeah, exactly. Although, you know, it's funny. It's not funny, but um, not funny. No, we knew what you Funny strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the day that Paul Ryan um, announced, um, <laughs> Paul Ryan, who is retiring. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like. Uh, but um, it was interesting. I was in Washington the day that he announced that they were going, that he was going to have a, a bill on the president's desk by February that defunded Planned Parenthood and repealed the Affordable Care Act. And that day, you could not get a phone call into his office because the phone lines, the switchboard in, in Congress was melted down by people mm -hmm. phoning from all over the country uh, that were so angry. And let the record reflect that despite the fact that they have the White House, they have the Senate, they have the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. We beat back collectively, not just Planned Parenthood, but a lot of folks in this country beat back every single effort they made to repeal Obamacare and defund Planned Parenthood, and our doors are still open all across the United States of America. Yes. That, that's what gives you, yeah. then you go like, yeah. you can do this. Yeah. Um, so, can I, can I ask you about when you first started working for Planned Parenthood? Yep. Um, what was that transition like going from going into that job as far as like your personal security as far as you know kind of being um, a lightning rod for criticism like what was that shift like especially yeah. as I think a lot of, of, of women and people here want are, are active and want to be involved and online it's actually really hard when it's no, like it the is. land of a million pepes yeah so uh, <laughs> What yeah. was that like for you transitioning into being in the center of, of controversy? And how did you yeah. deal with that? Well, I think, honestly, I've always been in the center of controversy. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, 
In fact, I've kind of always thought if, if I wasn't pissing someone off, I really wasn't probably doing my job. And um, because I think if you're, if you're a social justice, if you want to fight for social justice, you've got to fight for stuff that's really hard to do. And, if, and, um, and you know, as Gloria Steinem says, you know, people don't give up power willingly. They, give, they, they, they only give it up um, with a fight. But I also, Jessica, I think one thing that is, it actually has kind of come up in some of these conversations. I, um, and something I talk about in the book is like, I've had the privilege of being a troublemaker. Mm -hmm. and, and I've had um, the ability to choose what I did with my life and how I use my um, opportunities. And there's a lot of people in this country that don't. That's which, so sick that you say that because, but, well, yeah. It's really it's right, It's true, though, yeah, right? there's seriously. A lot of, I mean, I worked, I worked for years with women who, um, women in particular, but not just women, who didn't have any options, yeah, right? And, yeah. yet, and yet they were so brave. Even these women that I used to work with in the hotel industry or the nursing homes in East Texas, I mean, there they were making minimum wage and yet they were willing to risk everything to fight for something better for their family and their mm -hmm. community and their coworkers. I mean, that is what real courage and real, you know, um, I think real leadership is. And so, I, but I recognize that I've had the privilege to choose what I do with my, and I think it actually, right now, those of us who can have to do more than we have ever done mm -hmm. to support people who are under attack. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's why it's been so important to me this year is not only a Planned Parenthood that stood up for Planned Parenthood Health Centers and our patients, but that we stand with the dreamers, right? That we stood with the Muslim community. The we stand with the trans yeah. community. It's yeah, like, absolutely. this is not, it's not enough because the patients that come to us um, and the communities that we work in, um, they are under attack by this administration in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I guess that's, um, I think it's, I just think it's important right now for all of us to think about what we're doing and what we could, you know, as I say, like, if you're not scaring yourself right now, doing something that's really hard, you're probably not doing enough. Mm -hmm. Were you, were you um, afraid when you first started working for Planned Parenthood? Or not were you just really. like, no, I'm a badass. I yeah, I mean, this. I was like, <laughs> I mean, no, but I, but I don't want to make light of it because yeah. there have been unbelievable attacks on our health centers. Um, mm. uh, there have been attacks on providers. And you know, when people ask me like, who are the heroes and heroines uh, in this world to me? It's the doctors and clinicians that go and provide abortion services to folks in this country um, at, at great risk to themselves mm -hmm. and their families and they, um, and they do it anyway. And that to me is, I don't know if any of them are here to, tonight, but we owe them an enormous debt mm -hmm. of gratitude for what they do for the people in this country. Um, but, yeah, I remember um, once, for a Daily Show piece, I had to go to Alabama. Yep. And um, I was interviewing this doctor who, on behalf of the state of Alabama, would show up to, um, if, a, if a teen was pregnant, he would show up on behalf of the state and he would essentially go to the court and say she's not fit to have an abortion. And he would be able to call up witnesses so he could yep. call the girl's PE coach the, yep. you know, the father of her child, her parents, thus prolonging, you know, the window where she could get exactly. a safe abortion. Exactly. But it was one of the first times that, one, that I had been to the South, like the Deep South, that wasn't like Florida or like Disney World. Right. Um, but also, uh, it was interesting because uh, one part of the interview, I had to um, speak with people who were across from this abortion clinic. Yeah. And the clinic was one of like, I would say maybe three. Yeah. Yeah, like in the whole state. Yep. And it was unmarked mm -hmm. and they had to keep moving. And, and not only that, but uh, there were still pro-life activists that were still finding them and like standing outside. Yeah, harassing. Harass, yep. Harassing yep. women going in. And I know for me, that was actually as somebody who grew up in California, Southern California, right. which is a bit more liberal. That for me was was really eye opening. Yes. What was one of the um, scariest things that you've seen uh, in your travels with Planned Parenthood? Well, I mean, I write about it in the book that really yeah. one of the worst the worst moments um, in my the twelve years was the day that um, Dr. George Tiller was murdered in his church mm. um, in Kansas, mm -hmm. and um, he was such a brave man such a brave doctor. And you know, his motto is one that I think everyone in Congress should uh, adopt, which is trust women, right? Mm -hmm. He just said like, trust women, because they can make the best decisions for themselves. Um, and that was a frightening day. 
Although I, I also remember that the, the, the funeral for George was so large, they had to take it out of his church and they had to have it in the biggest church in town because so many people were there um, to honor him. And I remember um, it, was, it, was a, it was scary. I knew there were be a lot of protesters. There were these crazy protesters um, in that part of Kansas that show up. And um, so we went early, mm -hmm. real early that morning. And by the, the director of Planned Parenthood there, he wears a bulletproof vest. Mm. That's how he has to live. But we went real early and we were driving up to the church and I thought we'd got there early enough to avoid the protesters. But I look and there's this like huge line of motorcycles with American flags and all these big guys. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, we've gotten here and we didn't get here. Um, in time, but of course it turned out that they were there, um, they were the Patriot Guards, and they were there to honor George as a fellow veteran and to protect his funeral service. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, and so we actually got to, sorry, I get like, I mean, it was an amazing day, and um, we got to thank them, you know, for being there for George and his family. But um, that was a terrible, that was a terrible day. And, and out of that, I think that more and more doctors now uh, who are abortion providers have become public mm -hmm. and talk openly about what they do and they really That's deserve incredible. it. I know, it is amazing. Yeah. It is really, I think they are living um, sort of uh, the way that George lived his life, which was um, talking openly about the important life-saving care that he provided to folks every, mm -hmm. every day. Um, so that was a really terrible day. But I'll tell you, just because I think it is important that we remember that, you know, as Tony Kushner writes, um, you know, the world only spins forward. That's right. And he believes That's it right. does. I yeah. believe it does. So just two weeks ago, the last health center I got to open, uh, help open, was in South Carolina. Wow. Where in Charleston now, not only we're we providing for the first time safe and legal abortion, and much to the dismay of the governor of South Carolina, uh -huh. um, but we are also now able to provide services to the transgender community, life-affirming services right. to transgender. And awesome. um, it was so moving. Yeah. It was so moving. Um, and to have patients say, you know, I, I drive two, three hours to come to Charleston now for care that um, is non-judgmental, non-stigmatizing, mm -hmm. and frankly, where the healthcare provider knows as much about my healthcare needs as I do. And that's something that, unfortunately, uh, it's, it's too rare in America. Yes, um, I, I just I saw you last week, I think, oh, and um, right. yeah, right. you I, were I just, honored, and so was Laverne Cox, and she yeah. was saying how um, Planned Parenthood is great because, and I'm paraphrasing, but uh, a lot of times also there's like a medical bias inherent with the trans community that's sort of seeking care, um, and so right. I want to know, do you know what Planned Parenthood is doing to make sure that the trans community has access to, you know, uh, healthcare, right? So I think one of the things is every you know all of our health centers we provide you know we are a welcoming, non-judgmental, non-stigmatizing um, healthcare provider. And now in 20 states we are able to provide hormone replacement therapy and uh, expanding prep um, to almost all of our health centers. Wow. And I think that's it's just. It's just a matter of time, and it's moving very, very fast. And, and it's interesting, because I talked to Laverne a couple of years ago. We were doing an interview together, and uh, she talked about the fact that, you know, once services become available, it's like the word goes out. And folks really, uh, and this has been true actually in Texas, we just opened online appointment making uh, for trans services in East Texas. If you've been to East Texas, you, you know, anyway. Um, <laughs> You're either like, you haven't yeah, lived well, yeah, or, oh yeah. my gosh. You well, I, I write about living in East Texas. <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah. it's um, but it was amazing. Open online appointments for uh, trans services in East Texas. And within like a day, we were booked out for three months. Wow. So the demand for care is so enormous, which is why it makes me so frustrated that this administration is trying to end access to preventive services at Planned Parenthood, and we cannot let it happen. We no, just cannot let it happen. Yeah. It's outrageous. My, it, is outrageous. it is outrageous. And my thing that gets me, like, worked, the, the thing that gets me worked up the most is especially with this administration is sort of that general agenda is I just want to be like, it's legal. It's all legal. Like, that's right. Stop it. Stop it. And I it like, I'm getting so worked up. Like I'm sweating on yep. the sides of my body, <laughs> but it is, uh, it is infuriating yep. to me 
this this idea, and it's also so uh, sexist and racial. Race, that's right. Like it's so racial, and you can't yes. quite like kind of call it out. And okay, look, I'm like just ranting now. No, but um, but anyway, there's um, yeah, there's this really amazing. There's a lot of amazing quotes from your mother in this book, um, but there is something a, a quote that I wanted to ask you about. And uh, you said that one of the biggest lessons, or the biggest lesson that you learned from your mother was, this is it, it's your only life. So whatever the question, the answer is yes. Don't look back, don't hesitate. Um, how has that affected your life? And do you have any like wisdom that you would like to instill to everyone? <laughs> well, I think it's that. I actually think it's kind of what we're seeing now is, I mean, I'm sorry, Ann Richards isn't around to see the explosion of women, of women of color, of the LGBTQ community, of teenagers taking on, you know, gun violence yeah. in this country like nobody else ever has. I mean, it's just like, this is this moment that is, because um, that was, again, I just think it's because she grew up at a time in which, um, you know, women weren't expected to do uh, whatever they wanted to do. And I do think things are changing. And of course now women are half the workforce in this country, even though you wouldn't know it from the way we treat issues like pregnancy and birth control and abortion. And I cannot wait until half of Congress can get pregnant and then we're gonna quit fighting about all these yeah, issues, right? It'll be we're done. Like, it's it's gonna be over. We're it's like so done bad. with like, that. Um, shut up. But I just think she, you know, because she did spend a lot of years doing what she was supposed to do, she was like, once she didn't have to anymore, she was just like, not wasting any time. And yeah. I think that's where she just felt like, it, you know, start before you're ready, get going now, don't wait for someone to ask you. Don't. And I, again, that's part of the reason I wrote the book. Um, and actually, I just want to shout out Lauren Peterson, who's here, who's my co-author, who's like this amazing, amazing writer. Um, but it was because, you know, after the election, I feel like every day someone stopped me on, you know, on the subway or on the street and said, like, what am I supposed to do? As, as if there was like yeah. this, there was one thing. We just did that one thing. It would all go away. Wouldn't and we go, go back. And I just felt like instead of telling every single person on the subway what to do, I would write a book instead. It would be more efficient. <laughs> but um, that's what I'm seeing around the country is people are just saying, like, I, I got to do more. I yeah. want to do more. And people are doing extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. Folks who never imagined running for office or never imagined speaking at a town hall meeting are just being so brave. And let's face it, I mean, women are making the difference electorally because it is African-American women That's that right. we have senator right. in Alabama. That's right. That is like totally it. That's right. I'm just, I'm no, it's right. That's it's right. Next day, it's been it happening like, forever, but yeah. it's finally Finally, we're talking about it. The fact that you know it is women of color who've been carrying the rest of us on their shoulders and on their backs for it's centuries, true. and it's time the rest of us do our part as well. Yeah, it was like between that election yep. and Black Panther, I was like, don't tell me anything. <laughs> you don't have SHIT to say to me. Yeah. Um, no, but it's true, and, and I think yep. that's why I know for me growing up, Planned Parenthood has been has always been in my life. And mm -hmm. actually, uh, recently, I, I took like a DNA test mm -hmm. and I've been using Ancestry.com and I've been able to see all of the women of color that came before me and all the black, wow. women, the black men and I could see the censuses mm -hmm. that they filled out. And I was thinking about this um, on the way here, but I saw a lot of them did not have more than a third grade education. Yep. They weren't allowed to have more than a third grade education. Right. They couldn't read, they couldn't write. But what I knew was that, and I do know that they all had access to Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. And to me, the relationship between Planned Parenthood and uh, women of color is, is a really strong relationship. And um, did you find that you learned a lot about women of color when you started working at Planned Parenthood? Did, you, did it open your eyes as to the state of black women in this country or the state of healthcare for um, like Latino yeah. women or? or yeah, or oh no, yeah. 100%. And actually one person I wanna give credit to who's been an incredible friend and mentor uh, ever since I came is Faye Waddleton, who was a president of Planned Parenthood many years ago, lives in New York City. Um, 
came from Ohio. She, I just really want to thank her because she, she taught me a lot. But one of the things I think, Jessica, that you're pointing out, I mean, I kept looking at this map of the country, looking at things like, you know, the highest rates of HIV infection, mm -hmm. highest rates of mm -hmm. teen pregnancy, of um, STI rates, of you, you, abortion rates. And it was, it, I don't care what you looked at, there are certain states where we were not, we are not providing the health care that we need to. And most of them are my part of the country. Mm -hmm. Like, you t take Texas and go over to Georgia, and it was every single thing. Um, and so we started investing in uh, building health centers uh, across the, the South because, I, I mean, I was embarrassed the fact that you go to Alabama or you go to uh, Mississippi or Tennessee mm -hmm. and we weren't doing what we needed to do. So we opened, you know, brand new health centers all across. We actually finally opened a health center in New Orleans, Louisiana. The, the fight with the city uh, and, frankly, with the archdiocese to open the health center in New Orleans, Louisiana was crazy. Really? It took us three years. Uh -huh. But you know who built that health center? Yeah. Women of color owned businesses uh, and minority, um, you know, minority businesses because you know what? They never worked for the Catholic diocese in their life, and they were happy to have a chance to get that work. Right. And we were happy to employ. Right. So it was really yeah. important. It was really important. But we, I mean, that's a thing. I think that look, the reproductive justice community has been so far ahead on these issues. Is that you know, the the barriers to care aren't just legal. You know, they are economic. Mm -hmm. They are where you live. Uh, and I do feel like we're doing more, but it's there. The barriers are huge. Um, uh, I know, I know um, just last week we opened the first health center ever in the panhandle of Florida. And there's a lot of women there um, who, are, who are just going without. And that's not right. So that's, to me, I, mean, I think that's the most important change is, like, focus on equity. And the other thing is what I'm really proud of is we started investing in young people. Mm -hmm. Um, most diverse uh, generation ever in this country. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Have completely changed the organization. I, uh, so we went from about 3 million supporters to now um, nearly 12 million supporters wow. in the U.S. Yeah. And uh, not that it's a competition. Yeah. But, no, you, know, but, well, you won. We won. Um, but but it, it's largely been young people and people of color. And um, we're now actually more than twice the size of the National Rifle Association. And so that's like a... Um, <laughs> no, I usually, yeah. yeah, it's like, definitely. I do one of these. Yeah, yeah. But I think that, I mean, the reason why that matters is because that's how we're going to change the politics in America, too. It's like, I just think, okay, if every Planned Parenthood supporter, and frankly, every Planned Parenthood patient went out and voted this November, yeah. it's game over. Yeah, It is completely seriously. changing this. Yeah. yeah in America, I feel like so. that's the one great yeah. thing about this is that we're really, I feel like we're really kind of mobilized and everything yes. sort of crackling. I you know? agree. Yeah. yeah um, before like we go to these awesome questions you guys gave us, I want to ask you if right now, um, reproductive rights wise, there is uh, anything happening with this current administration Ooh. that we should all look out for or things that we should be aware of. Okay, that's a big one. Um, I know. Everybody's like, ooh. No, but... Okay, but I... No, thank you. Like actually, anything immediately. I think it's important. I mean, there's two things that are happening right now. Because, of course, since they couldn't get defunding a Planned Parenthood through Congress, they're now trying to do every other... All like, the tertiary things. Yeah, little like things little, they can do. Yeah. So, Health and Human Services is the department that... I mean, it shouldn't even be called Health and Human Services now. It's like the anti-Health and Human Services department <laughs> now. Because, basically, they've just and I think Mike Pence gets a lot of credit for this, they've just, you know, stocked it full of people who are not healthcare providers. They are right-wing fanatics about trying to end birth control and access to reproductive health care in America. So, two things people need to be aware of. One is they're trying, this is so crazy, they are trying to dismantle the teen pregnancy prevention program. Okay, oh. now, right now, because of a lot of work, people in this room, a lot of people around this country, we're at the lowest rate of teenage pregnancy in the history right. of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Obamacare, awesome. okay? Yeah. That really matters. Mm -hmm. So now they're trying to um, end that program. We just, Planned Parenthood just sued and got a permanent injunction, but believe me, that's not gonna be the end of the story. Right. So fight for sex education, because it works and it's important, mm -hmm. all right? Yep. Um, but 
Even worse is right now, and we keep hearing these rumors, and I thought maybe it would, something would come out today, that this administration, that means President Trump, is going to issue an executive order that is this, I don't know if you remember, one of the first things that he did when he was elected was he issued an international global gag, gag rule, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Which essentially cut off health care for millions of women, mm -hmm. many women who had no other access to health care. Okay. Now he's planning on doing the same thing domestically. Oh, that's, okay? that's so this scary. This is never, never has anything like this taken place in, in the U.S. Now, Ronald Reagan tried to do this more than 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just to put it in perspective. I did not know that. So didn't, didn't get it done. This would basically say to any, any person who was going to a health center under the National Family Planning Program, which is called Title X, which you don't need to know that, but the National Family Planning Look, Program... I'm no, I know, this, but this is like, this is an important thing. This is the program through which about 4 million people get their birth control. Mm -hmm. um, we're the biggest provider of that. If this goes through, they, and we'll, we'll sue it, but this is their plan. If this goes through, any provider of uh, birth control through this program cannot tell a woman that abortion is legal. Oh, man. They can't tell them uh, where they can go. That can't even provide it as an option. They were literally be gagged from providing their patients with medically accurate information that could save their life. Wow. And that is outrageous. And we have got to, I mean, we have just got to go crazy when this happens. Yeah. It is absolutely unconscionable. And the, the heartbreaking thing is, I mean, there are people in this country, they don't even know if abortion is legal. Of course right? not. They have yeah. no idea. And so if you can't count on your healthcare provider to tell you the truth, who in the world are you going to count on? Right. So it's outrageous. And that's, those are the two things that I'm most focused on right now. That, okay. And I know our folks are worried about. So we're going to have to just, you know... Um, we're gonna have a really ready turn it up, turn up protests. the volume. That's right. Yeah. Okay. All, All right. right. I'll be definitely calling in. Just kidding. We didn't exchange numbers, but um, <laughs> I will definitely, definitely. Yep. Okay. Something to just you know be aware. Something of. to be think about. Yeah, that's right. Um, Watch for the news. Oh, <laughs> this is a good question. <laughs> Loving this room. Okay. Uh, I want to go I everywhere with you. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, this is, I'm great. I'm, I'm ready for our tour. Okay. So. <laughs> Tell us more about your meeting with Ivanka and Jared. Oh. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. This is a great story. Okay, so tell us, please, and like brew yes. the tea, brew it up hot yes. for it. <laughs> this is for you. I think you wrote tell that question. I, did, yeah. I think you wrote that question. I, I know, I'm like, I'm, yeah, 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 no, yeah, you, yeah. somebody wrote this. No, but um, um, please well, let it rip. So, and I, you know, I write about it in the book a bit, yeah. but. Uh, as I think some folks know, right after the um, inauguration, I got, a, I got a message that Ivanka Trump wanted to meet about Planned Parenthood. And, uh, okay, <laughs> I was skeptical. I mean, I I, and I- Really? I know, I don't know, I just, <laughs> but I, you know, I thought about it, I thought, well, look, if there's any, because of course the president said he was gonna defund us, and I knew millions of women were counting on us, millions of people. And um, so I thought, okay, well, I should go. You know, I should go at least just tell her what we do, tell her how devastating this would be if the president did what he said he's going to do. Tell her about a literal nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and then actually she said she was going to bring her husband. So I said to Kirk, you have to go with me. I'm not going to go by myself. And So it was a double date. <laughs> yeah, like brunch with yeah, friends. Yeah, double brunch. Double yeah, brunch. Okay. yeah, brunch. Um, so uh, we had to drive out to the... Westminster or Bedminster, I don't know what it's called. It's a golf course that Donald Trump owns I'm, out okay, in New Jersey. Me. Anyway, we'll have to Google that. Uh, so, and I don't even know, what do you wear to a golf course for breakfast? I, know, I have no idea. Anyway, um, but so we, we, we went and I said, look, I, I just think it's important you know about what we do at Planned Parenthood. And, and like, there's like two, almost two and a half million people who come to us for healthcare. And a lot of, a lot of these folks, we're their only healthcare provider. There right. isn't another option for them. And, or they choose us and they should have the right to choose to go to Planned Parenthood for healthcare. Um, but Jared, who really kind of carried the meeting, if you will. Um, <laughs> yeah. He had a surprise. A, I, that's a twist. Yeah. That's a twist. Okay. So he, um, he said, well, he, he knew that we had a great business and we're like, <laughs> Uh, and I think he thought Kirk worked for me, my husband. Like, he was kind of thought it was like our family business, Planned Parenthood or something. You're like, uh, not all like, things I, are family know. businesses. Anyway, and Kirk is a really mellow guy with, uh -huh. like, 
like, I could see his head um, about to explode. <laughs> but I, um, he said, but look, you know, we control everything. We've got the White House. We've got, we've got Congress. The Republicans have everything. You have nowhere to go. And so if you're going to make a deal, you're going to have to make it quick, and you're going to have to make it here because... This isn't The Apprentice. Like, yeah. don't do that. It was, I mean, and he basically said... Um, my idea is that uh, Planned Parenthood, if you just quit providing abortion services, I'll talk to Paul Ryan and, <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, see, we can just maybe even get you more money. Maybe even get you more uh. money. And I said, well, that ain't going to happen. And Did you are, say it there? Yes. I said, we are not going to trade away women for money. That's just like... I said, that is not going to happen. And he said, I know, but I think it just, he said, look, just maybe like a headline in the New York Times that read, Planned Parenthood quits providing abortion services. And I said, well, it is not, that is, we're not going to do that. We don't, we're not, that's not what's going to happen here. And, and I said, and by the way, just, I mean, why I thought this was important, you know that all the money you're, you're talking, or all the services that you're trying to now shut down yeah. at Planned Parenthood, they're not abortion because federal funding doesn't pay for abortion anyway. That's a Even though it yeah. should, it should pay for abortion for women in America, mm -hmm. but it doesn't. Um, so I said, you're actually, what you're doing by, by blocking folks from coming to Planned Parenthood, they won't be able to get birth control, STI testing, all, cancer screenings, all the things that folks count on us for. And I said, and I did tell him this, I said, I guarantee you, if you all block folks from coming to Planned Parenthood, the unintended pregnancy rate is going to go mortality up in America, rate. and the abortion rate's going to go up, and you're right, maternal mortality yeah. is going to go up. But they, he wanted to make a political deal, and um, I just it's, said, I know. It, I mean, it's almost super funny because it's like he did no research on... <laughs> I your, mean, your attitude, your behavior, like he did zero research and just sat down and was like, stop what, you, what we think you're doing. Like all well, of that is but, gone. I mean, Jessica, did you watch the congressional hearing where I spent five hours yeah, trying to explain insane. to these folks about yeah. like what Planned Parenthood does? I, I mean, and it's I like, think it's incredible. It's like they don't. No. I just don't think, it, I mean, it's kind of your point earlier though. It. I what? actually think, I think they don't care. Yeah. And so I don't even think it's about, um, and, and at one point, I mean, Ivanka did say, she said, well. What did she say? She, <laughs> she, was, she was very hurt that I had not said nice things about her father. <laughs> I can't with her. I wish you'd been with, with me. Oh, my I God. Went, it should have been me and Kirk. I Maybe we'll redo the her. meeting. We'll read, I'll say, look, I'm going to bring someone else this time. Every, yeah. Like, yeah. literally, if yeah. I went to that meeting, yeah. everybody would know about it. I would have Instagram lived it. <laughs> I would have taken picture. Like, so she was, so she she was, was bummed. Yeah. Because you weren't giving more compliments to her papa? Because he had said nice things about Planned Parenthood. And I said, okay, fair point. He did. He said he knew a lot of women who had been helped by Planned Parenthood, and he was going to defund us. So what was the part, what was the thank you part supposed to be about, right? Um, and then she said, well, you know, you have to understand my father is pro-life. And I, and look, I said, he, he's entitled to his own opinions, but he is not entitled to take away a right from every single person that's right. in this country. That's right. And that's not right. So it didn't really... It, it was the best double date. Honestly. It really wasn't. It in. Uh, I mean, yeah, it didn't work out well. And um, but, you know, he was right. They did control everything. Yeah. They they did control everything, and they weren't budging, and we weren't budging. And um, I would say round one went to us because our you know again Planned Parenthood beat them back. Um, but it is it is frightening to me that folks in the White House. I mean, and now Ivanka, that was before she took a job. I mean, now she's I, one of the highest what ranking job? women in yeah. this administration. Yeah. Well, supposedly she's in charge of women's affairs. She says, like, and, her job, not job. Right. Yeah. So I think it is frightening that there are people who have so little empathy for what folks face in this country to get affordable health care. Mm -hmm. And that was true in Congress. You know, it's interesting. When we fought, fought the, the Trump care bill, I mean, people think it's not just that they are against access to safe and legal abortion. 
during the Trump care fight, they tried to take away maternity benefits from women, mm. okay? It was like they want to take away birth control, they want to take maternity benefits, they want to take away abortion. Basically, we're on our own mm -hmm. as far as this administration's concerned. And that is why it's so important to have seen people fighting back in such a big way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, someone asked, Cecile, are you going to run for office? <laughs> Jess... And then they put, Jess, will you run with her as VP? That's going to be a no, but thank you. <laughs> but for you... I wasn't going to run for office, but if you would run as VP, VP... I don't know. I would literally... You yeah. saw it. You yeah. saw it. Everybody here saw it. My genuine reaction to that story was to get up and do a lap, <laughs> do a nonsense lap around the podium and yeah. then sit back down. Yeah. I can't handle it. If I had to, like, go and, and speak to Congress, I would be like... Shut up. Like, that's all I would say. <laughs> Shut up. Um, no, but seriously, yeah, would, you, yeah. would you ever run for office? I'm not, I'm not really planning on it. Okay. I'm not really planning on it. But I am totally focused and like a laser beam on making sure every single person in this country is registered to vote, active, activated, and awesome. that they go out in November. Because, yep. I, you know... For all, like, I, you know, I love a good march. We've had great marches. I love, you know, the fact that people are just, like, flooding town hall meetings. But um, none of that matters if we don't go vote in November. That's right. That's the only way we're going to really change power. And yeah. so that's what I'm focused on right now. Yeah, I think it, November needs to be, like, the new Yas or something, where we're like, <laughs> November, bitch! <laughs> just to get people excited. Yeah, yeah. There are better, I like that. There are better ideas. <laughs> What can people in progressive states do to help our sisters in restrictive states, a.k.a. Iowa? That's a great question. Yeah. No, that Iowa bill is unbelievable for folks who can don't follow that. Can you tell me? I, I don't, actually don't know about it. Yeah, I mean, the, the legislature in Iowa passed a bill, and the governor signed it that would essentially ban abortion starting at six weeks, which, of Ooh. course, is before a lot of people even know they're pregnant, yeah. right? So, yeah. Um, and it's unconstitutional, but I saw her press conference. It was the most hateful thing. I mean, if you, if you want an example of why government shouldn't be making decisions about the most, you know, personal um, medical care of, of people in this country, she's a class A example. So we will sue, and the ACLU will sue, and uh, it'll be declared unconstitutional. But yeah, these states... I mean, we have to change who's in office in these states. Because unfortunately, that's what I think is the big, you know, obviously the big idea is if they can't change things nationally, now they're just going to ground and trying to make it impossible for folks in states that are already really challenged mm -hmm. um, for folks to get affordable health care. I mean, they already shut down some planned periods in Iowa and like something like 12,000 folks lost access to affordable birth control in, uh, in the state. So it's... It's serious business. I think what you can do is you can support organizations that are in those states. Um, uh, obviously, Planned Parenthood's one. There are other organizations, though, that are both providing reproductive health care and fighting. ACLU is doing an incredible job in litigating with us on a lot of these issues. Um, you know, and I think support candidates. And this is the other thing. It's like all these folks now have like put themselves out there to run for office. They need you to support them. Right? I mean, and I think it's really important to realize that, that uh, particularly women of color who are now running in, you know, um, in all kinds of places where it's just, it's so exciting. I mean, we just saw, you know, for, in Texas, we just elected, I um, mean, basically, they, they will have their election in November, but essentially, barring something unforeseen, we'll have the first two Latinas ever go to Congress uh, from Texas, wow. uh, which is wow. amazing. But, these are candidates who, who need uh, support from folks all around the country and mm -hmm. to encourage them. Uh, and not just this time, because we're not going to win everything in 18. 2020? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's a... That's a big one. Yeah. yeah. That's a big one. Okay. Um, why do you think women's bodies remain a battleground? Is it money? Is it power? Is it both? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think it's power. I think, I think we are seeing... I believe the last gasp of the patriarchy in this country. Yeah. And yeah. It's, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's masked in a lot of other stuff. Um, but when I see, again, 
you know, people used to say, well, this is just a fight over safe and legal abortion. It's no, not. It's not. No, it's, it's a not. fight over every single bit of it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why, you know, it's funny, you know, you look back 101 years ago when Planned Parenthood started, when, um, and people say, like, I can't believe Planned Parenthood is so controversial. It's like, really? Our founder was thrown in jail right. for handing out birth control pamphlets. Uh, and my favorite part of that story is that, um, you know, she was thrown in, there was an undercover cop posing as a mom, bus Margaret. Which is also already pretty wild. Yeah, pretty great. <laughs> throws her in jail, and she teaches all of her fellow inmates about birth control, right? Yeah. So that's like, that is essentially, yes, this is always, you know, if yeah. you're not, that, that's always been the role. But I do think now that, that, you know, again, we're seeing women are half the workforce. I mean, the, the most recent graduating class from NASA astronauts, guess what half of them were? Women, okay? Every single place in society, and yet, um, there are folks who I think for whom that is really alarming mm -hmm. and now they are I think all the kinds and I think what we're seeing in this administration is this idea that somehow they're going to take women back to the 1860s and as far as I can tell women aren't going it's just not gonna it's not, not the best time no, no exactly <laughs> yeah for a lot of women yeah <laughs> Cecile are you going to run hashtag Richard Williams 2020? Very gay. <laughs> Second one. Okay. I planted them all over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, how do I convince my dad that Planned Parenthood is not evil? It's a great question. Um, well, it's good you're in conversation with your dad. And I think it's really important to talk about what we do um, and the healthcare we provide. And I think you, know, you can get a lot of that information. And one of the things, I don't know, I mean, I, I guess I, I'm not sure what, your, what all your dad's issues are, but I think it's really important. I mean. Um, She's like, he's insane. No, 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 no. No, I think what's important, and actually this is something that is important work to me about what we've done at Planned Parenthood is that I think for several decades, there's been this sort of political binary of like pro-choice and pro-life language, which is frankly, it's irrelevant to people, mm -hmm. and it completely doesn't, it, it sort of dismisses what can be a much more um, important and deep conversation mm -hmm. with folks. Mm -hmm. And we're actually the, the people, where the people in this country are, and I mean, we, you know, I talk about in the book actually a couple of campaigns in Mississippi and South Dakota, where these are states where they tried to make abortion illegal, mm -hmm. the legislature did, and then they had a vote by the people of those states. And overwhelmingly, in those very conservative states, where if you polled, they would say, you know, folks were pro-life, they overwhelmingly voted to um, keep abortion legal in South Dakota and Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because people actually can make a distinction between what they believe their own personal feelings are about abortion and what they think they would do in that circum in circumstances. Um, although, as we also know, people change their minds right. um, because, you know, things happen. Um, but they also don't feel like they can make that decision for every pregnant person in, in the country. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, would be the conversation. If the issue is over abortion with your father, uh, I think it's really important to say, you know, you can respect his, his opinion for himself, but also it's important to think about, is he willing to actually make that decision for everybody? Mm -hmm. um, and most, most folks actually, once you try to, like, don't try to put people in a, like a box or in a label, they actually can have a much more nuanced conversation. And uh, that's actually where the vast majority of this country is. Um, and then you could tell him, by the way, Planned Parenthood does more to provide birth control of all types, the best birth control to more people in this country than any organization, does more to reduce unintended pregnancy and the need for abortion than any organization in the country, right? right? So yeah. I think it's like, for all these people out there picketing our clinics and yelling at women, I was like, if you really want to do something about unintended pregnancy, come on in and volunteer to Planned Parenthood Health Center. You'll be doing a whole That's lot right. more good That's for right. folks. Yeah. Can I tell you why? I do agree, and, and as I get older, I'm trying to get better at being able to have that sort of political conversation and, and learning, it's, which is something that I did learn at The Daily Show, is that it doesn't have to be a binary conversation, right. actually. Right. We can have a nuanced conversation, but I am a, a double Leo and an Aries. <laughs> And so I'm a triple fire sign. Uh, but also, actually, I, I do have a hard time because as a woman of color, it's hard for me to, to talk to white conservatives 
uh, yeah. about uh, we, having like a very like nuanced like kumbaya conversation because yeah. to me it's hard to explain to them that to me they're being racist even if they yeah. don't realize it. Yep. And so I have to, it's interesting as a person of color, you have to operate on this level of, okay, so this person doesn't know that the, the things that they stand for actually are inherently racist because of right. this institutionalized system that we live in, that you know, the founders of this country, you know, they owned humans and we are still suffering the ramifications many generations That's exactly you right. know, beyond and we're still trying to unpack that. Right. But if it comes down to it uh, and you still will not admit on any level that, uh, that your opinions actually are rooted in this institutionalized system, which is fine, it's difficult for me and actually upsetting for me to have to allow that to exist as a black woman and allow them to, you know, state their opinion without being able to call out that, hey, you're actually being racist even if you don't intend to. Mm -hmm. And then not only that, I just have to let it, I have to let it go and have yep. like a, 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 I have to try and meet them on whatever level that they are on. And so for me, yep. as I get older, I, I really want to get better at that. But it is really difficult for me to, say, have a conversation about abortion when I know that it disproportionately affects women of color and, and, and pe members of the trans community. That's right. You know, what, right. I, you know I what I know, mean? I know. I'm, I'm just giving this person the benefit of the doubt that she right. wouldn't talk to her dad. Right. And, but you know, I, know, I know. I know what you're saying. I'm sorry. I, but no, like, I actually, think, I don't even know why. I'm no, I'm up, so glad but. you... No, but I think it's important because, look, if you can't control your own body, you are not free. That is a right. fundamental issue. And I don't think we can, like, make any bones about that. That is just... And it goes back to the... I mean, everything you're talking about. And also, I mean, look... Every, Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't have one of these. Usually everyone's going like, can't we just all get along or can't we like find common ground? It's like, you know, okay, let's just say we could find common ground. Mm -hmm. Let's say we'd say common ground would be that we, no one would really want a teenager to get pregnant unless they wanted to get pregnant. If they want to get pregnant, that's, that's, their, that's up to them. But at least they'd say, okay, that's an area that we can find common ground. That's fair. The Republicans yeah. in Congress, they're ending the teen pregnancy prevention program. So I'm sorry, like, where, how small must this iceberg be that we could find common gr yeah, ground on? And like? I have not yeah. seen, and I think it goes back to your question earlier, the question from the audience is, is this really about some moral or religious issue, or is this really about controlling women's bodies? And that's what it's about. It is. And I'm sorry, that's, that's what so it's about. That's so hard for me, yeah. Cece. I'm like, ah. Uh. Yeah. Maybe the vice presidential thing isn't such a good idea. No, I don't I know. Set, I know. I yeah. set everything on fire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, double Leo. Yeah. Um, uh, what happened to Ivanka Trump? thought she was a fighter for women? And I think we got to that earlier, but the answer is like. Yeah. What did you say? Why are you reading that? That's fine. Um, so anyway, I just, while we wrap up, um, this was another quote that I, I loved from your book that's super awesome. Um, your mother also said, Ann Richards said, you may go somewhere else and you may make a lot of money, but you will never receive the kind of gratification that you receive from looking someone in the eye who says, thank you for helping make my life better. Yeah. What was one of the best moments you've ever had working for Planned Parenthood? Well, I remember, uh, I mean, that is one of the things that people, you know, people ask a lot. You know, well, don't people stop you on the street? And I said, yeah, they do all the time to say thank you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible. For every, you know, one person who wants to give me some scripture or says they're praying for me. Um, <laughs> Throw holy water on Yeah, me. I mean, and like, whatever. But then um, there's 99 people that come up and say thank you. And I'll never forget this. I was in Iowa um, one day and... Um, one of the clinicians was setting up her procedure room, and it was a really tough political time. And, and in Iowa, it often is. And she said, you know, I, um, I don't know, I, I thought the other day about, like, maybe just getting another job, one that, where I didn't have to deal with, you know, protesters and didn't have to hear people yell things or, like, um, look at me um, a certain way. And, and then I, I got, got to work that day, and I held a woman's hand through her procedure, 
And she looked me in the eye and I realized this woman needed me more than any person may have ever needed another person in their lifetime. And that's why I stay. And I think that is why people and that do this work stay is because um, it's, it's incredibly humbling to be, to work in a movement and in, with an organization that literally is at the, at the, where people are at a crossroads in their life sometime and may have no place else to go to really just have someone to talk to and to help them maybe um, come to a decision or um, uh, take care of themselves in their healthcare. That's an amazing thing. And I think that's what mom was saying. And so, you know, whenever I talk to, you know, on college campuses, others like, like, if you can hold out in life for something that actually makes a difference in the world and that, that brings you joy, um, incredibly fortunate. And I feel, I feel so, um, I know it sounds strange for me to say I feel blessed, but I do. I feel blessed to have had 12 years at Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. It was the most amazing job of my lifetime. And um, I'll be a, I, I, will, I will be an advocate and a supporter for this organization and for the rights of all people to live their lives um, and with bodily integrity. Um, that's the work of my lifetime, for sure. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. 92i Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Reconati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92iondemand.org.